The car business is rapidly changing and modern car dealers are meeting the demand. I'm Michael Cirillo, and together we're going to explore what it takes to create a thriving dealership and life in the retail automotive industry. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with subject matter experts that are designed to help you grow. This is The Dealer Playbook. Thanks for joining me on The Dealer Playbook. Hi. Hi. I love how before the show you were like, wait, are you going to do the thing you do where you never prep me with the question you asked? And I was like, yes. I learned from a SotoCon where every panel I've been on workshop is like, hey, we're going to do a walkthrough call. And Cirillo hops on and he's like, I just want us to get to know each other. And we're like, well, what questions are you going to ask? You're going to have to wait till you get on stage to find out. What I don't know yet. I just don't know. <laughs> You've been here now back in Houston, DeMontrand Auto Group. How long now? Six months. Six months. What have exactly. you known? Aside from the weather, what are the other things you're observing moving from Minnesota? <laughs> You know, I did not realize how vastly large Houston was. So I've been in Minnesota for 10 and a half years. I'm from Texas. I didn't visit Houston a lot growing up, but I always remembered it was a big city. Traffic was insane. And so as I'm digging into the demographics and marketing strategy, and I am seeing how much Houston has grown, and I'm reading these articles, and it's like, hey, Houston is the fourth largest city in America. And I'm like, hold on. Wait a second. What is that? Why it took me two hours to get from my southern dealership the campus to my house the other day? Yeah, that explains that eight lanes of traffic, and we're still stuck in traffic at five o'clock. Yeah, and I love how you you've used this word all day today, and I love it. You saying at this campus, that campus, and really when you come and observe the operation of Demontrop, like these are campuses. Like, yeah, there's a lot going on here. What are your thoughts? So, so, you know, for other marketing directors and people that are in similar kind of seats as you are throughout the industry, bring me into your thoughts coming from Minnesota into this group. Is it like, whoa, there's a lot going on? Or are you coming in with that Ashley power being like, here we go, operational efficiency. We're going to focus on this, 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 and that. I think to have a plan is yeah. always a mistake because your plan never goes <laughs> as it should. I did come in with this mindset of what I knew was going to happen. I did not realize to the extent of how much growth was happening in real time right. with the industry, right? So it's not just the things that we had planned as a company when I was working with Demontron and making my way here that they had planned for. It's the pivots we had to make like that because the industry was changing so quickly. We had a lot happening with interest rates, right? And inventories coming back. And you have a war and all of this stuff happening. And so that impacts customers, you know, shopping behaviors. So the plans that I had, you know, and it was really to kind of like sit back and observe the first 90 days. And that's not quite what happened. It was kind of like, all right, Ashley, we need your help, which I'm really grateful for. Yeah. Stores wanted me here, ready to go, helping them with their marketing strategy and working with our agency to accomplish the goals that we had set. One of the things I love about what you're saying here is, you know, for years and years and years, I've, I hope I've done a good job at advocating for 
Yeah, marketing professionals in the retail auto industry need to have a higher seat at the table because of how much influence you can have and you all can have. And, you know, when we think about the different pillars of a dealership success, if we were to simplify it and you have marketing, you have people in process, you have the products that you sell. And of course, there's a miscellany of other things that go along in each of those pillars. But if marketing isn't sitting and having the vantage point that you've been brought in to have, and like you said, kind of like, got to focus on this and this and this and this, just that I love hearing that there's that amount of trust being poured into marketing professionals now in this industry. And I love also that you touch on the need to pivot. It's like, yeah, you should have a plan. You can document and you can strategize. But really, when pivots are necessary, you can't be so rigid. Right. The question is, how do you get comfortable with not being so rigid? Especially as a marketer where everything should be black and white. I think for me, I I don't think of myself as a marketer. Mm. I am much more operational minded. Sure. And so I understand what it's like in the stores. And you're constantly having to understand, you know, what is happening to the customer? What are we doing in the store with our process? And making sure that we can watch that very quickly versus waiting 30 days to see a result. I don't have time for that. I have to pivot as needed. So I think I've always just been accustomed to moving as needed when needed. So when it comes to marketing, I have to think of that same mindset and make sure that I'm doing what the story is me to do. Because ultimately, that's what I'm here to do. And it probably may sound bad, but I am here to serve them. I don't have a job without my stores. So yes, I'm going to guide them in the way that I want them to go. But ultimately, I need to make sure they're happy with the results. Has that always been a part of who you are? Like just because some people come by it naturally. Some people are like, wait, did she just say I'm here to serve them? Like, (laughs) how dare they? I I can't be treated like this. Yeah, I mean, I think I've always been that way. I I don't have a job without the people that right. are working to help provide for us. And so when you think about it from an automotive perspective, who are your revenue drivers, your salespeople and your technicians? So are the salespeople getting the support they need from the managers? Are they getting the traffic they need to sell the cars they need to sell? Are the technicians getting the customer pay and all the repair orders needed to drive that fixed ops income that we need. Yeah. So I've always had that mindset of like, it's just we're a team. I'm right. here to help you succeed. Yeah. It may look like I'm winning, but I'm not. It's them who are winning and they make me look good. Oh, well, well, I think, I think you are not giving yourself enough credit, <laughs> but I know exactly what you're saying. It's like we win together, we sweat together, mm-hmm. we panic together and we rise together. Right. right? And, and so that's certainly valuable. You've experienced, from what I gather, right, like talking at lunch today and things of that nature. How good was that lunch spot, by the way? Okay. First of all, <laughs> it's delicious. Yeah. No, it's amazing. You had, you had shared a little bit about how you got into automotive, right? Yeah. Starting with just kind of what you thought was a temporary reception job. You've experienced firsthand the upward mobility that is available in retail auto. But bring me inside of that journey a little bit. Like when point do you realize, oh, there could be more than a reception job here? Yeah. So when I joined, it was right when Pash was talking about Zmont. If you remember those days. (laughs) So that's right when I joined Automotive. And we, you know, I was a temporary receptionist in Corpus Christi. And it was just a job I needed while I was going to college. But social media was becoming a thing. 
I had my personal social media set up, but the dealership was like, hey, we need some help. We know there's this like internet age and we need to get our websites going. Can you help us with that? You seem pretty tech savvy. And I was like, sure, I can do that. I had already helped them with like their phone up process and how that was going to go from a front desk standpoint. And so we worked together and I started digging through this and I realized when I first walked into that dealership, I went in there like, this is just going to be something that pays my bills. I don't really want to work in a dealership. These guys are just out, you know, skating people (laughs) trying to like, you know, get them a deal and negotiate and all that stuff. I mean, I I didn't want to be a part of it. I didn't want to associate myself with it. Right. Then I got to know the people. Yeah. I was like, oh, they're not all bad. And they're not all bad at all. There's a lot of good people. We're doing a lot of good for the community. Yeah. And so at that point, I kind of was like, I think I can help them find their voice to show that we are more than just a car dealership. We're somebody that's a part of the community. And that's kind of where it led into me wanting to do more. I started attending webinars and that's how I got to see, you know, Pash and Zemont and Eliana was doing like, I think it was TK car sites at the time. Oh my gosh. Um, Making me feel old. (laughs) So that was my first like intro into the industry. And I won a scholarship by Ralph Paglia and Brian. And they paid full ride for me to go attend one of Brian's conferences. Yeah. I was like, holy cow. Wait, this would have been what year? 2012? This was 2012. But that that was like my second year. Wait, was this AutoCon? It was AutoCon. I won. So if you were there, I won the video contest. Go figure. I won the video contest on automotive digital marketing, the old ADM website. Fun fun side note, useless side note. (laughs) AutoCon 2012 was my first ever public speaking engagement. Get out. Yes. Wow. You remember what we were talking about earlier and I was sharing a little bit about our tech journey. Yeah. We were told, like asked how many developed. That was at AutoCon 2012. Wow. That's crazy. So, yeah. It's a small one. It is such a small one. Copyright in French. <laughs> I, I won a video contest on automotive digital marketing. Grant had the Cardone most. was that? Grant Cardone, Gary V. Gary Lon Safko. Do you remember him, the social yeah. media Bible guy? Yep. He wrote the social media Bible. Like What's his name? Thing. Tracy Myers. Tracy Myers, good yeah. friend so of the show. Good, good friend boy, I met. AutoCon and just got this exposure to like outside of my bubble of my four dealership in Corpus. How is this even possible? You would have been like 14 at AutoCon. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yeah. That is awesome. I might have even had hair. I didn't have a beard yet. There's, there's, that's, okay. that's what the Monte Carlo was still, and it's not, I don't know what's there now, Madara or something, but. Yeah, back then I couldn't afford to stay at any of those hotels. <laughs> I was definitely at my in laws. You know, spare bedroom in the yeah. um wow, what small and now here you are. Here I am. Marketing director for Demontron Auto Group in yeah. Houston. What is the biggest maybe observation you've made about marketing and operations in the auto industry through through this journey? Like hindsight looking back, you go, Oh yeah, these things need to fall into place in order for there to be success. I wish I had known sooner how crucial marketing and sales needed to talk to each other. And that was something I learned through trial and error and making my BDC successful and working with the marketing team. But I wish I had known sooner that having that hand together with the sales department and making sure that they were as educated as I was and my BDC would help us be more, more successful a lot sooner. 
I think a lot of people miss that. They keep them siloed. Yeah. I'm going to drive traffic. I'm driving you leads. All you have to do is close them. I need to understand where that customer is in their hyperloop, yeah. their cycle. Right. And so I think that's probably one of the biggest things. And then not being afraid of, I don't want to say automation, yeah. but like stuff like AI. Yeah. If I had known sooner how much AI would help my sales process and my sales teams, sure. I probably would have used it a lot sooner. You know, you look at even something like ChatGPT, and I know there's a gazillion different options now that, oh, you think ChatGPT is cool? You should try this. We see it all the time. But I mean, even something as simple as ChatGPT deployed in the right way to say, here's how I normally say it, copy paste, come up with five variations to say this in a more simple way for a customer to understand, whatever it might be. Like it is going, it is the most powerful advent in technology that we've seen, and Lord knows how long. Yeah, I mean, how many times have we been stuck there? Like, how do I change the wording of this Facebook post that I've right. already said ten <laughs> different times? Right. How do I change that up? Yeah. AI help me out. Yeah. One of the things I appreciate as well, just as I've observed, you know, a day in the life of Ashley is how keenly aware you are of this connection between sales and marketing, that they must work hand in hand, be connected at the hip. And I see that in in the way that you're thinking about, okay, yes, it is drive traffic, but where are where are the deficiencies after that? Once mm-hmm. the traffic is here. And by the way, it's not about trap the traffic number. You're really looking at it's but do we need actually more or do we need to become more efficient at closing right. and setting appointments and driving people into our showrooms, et cetera? They have to go hand in hand. They have to go hand in hand. And you also should understand, like I was working with actually my two Volkswagen stores and I'm comparing the numbers of lead counts. And I'm like, hey, this one has like triple the leads in this store. Right. We need to do what we're doing. But then as we dig in with the sales team, we discover, unfortunately, a lot of service leads were getting driven into that. And you don't know because the source doesn't indicate it. Right. Right. The sales team who educates you, like actually those customers are actually service customers mm. that are coming into the CRM through this form somehow that looks like a sales lead. Yeah. But it's those things that you need to learn from and then understand like, oh, shoot, we should be driving that to our service BDC and they should be handling those customers. That way we can get an actual count of what the traffic is. Yeah. And so when you have those conversations, helps them feel heard. They see that you're helping them. So then when you come back to them with some of the accountability pieces of process and setting appointments and all of the above to help their closing, a little bit more app hearing you because you're not just telling them how to do their job. Yeah. No, I love it. Makes me think of the best marketing in the world gets people to raise their hand and sales is what gets those people to shake your hand and they have to go side by side. Yeah. And you have to, like you're saying, you have to have that objective look at the whole playing field to truly understand where people are entering your ecosystem, your habitat. And how we move them from step to step to step to step. Well, it wasn't too bad, right? I didn't yeah. throw any curveballs. By the way, let's talk about your childhood. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to throw a curveball. Oh, jeez. <laughs> no, do a whole podcast just on how many times my family and I watched the movie Selena. And how <laughs> I bring, I don't know why. You, oh, you said you were from Corpus Christi. And I'm I like, did. this bumper was torn off by the bus. Yeah. You're like, actually, we were friends with Selena's yeah. family. I'm like, what? They're my favorite movie growing. Yeah. Actually, we went home for Thanksgiving and I went for a walk 
just right there on Ocean Drive in Corpus Christi and they have the Selena statue. Yeah, and I was like, I'm awesome. going to take, and it was quiet because it was actually cold for Corpus. It was like 60 degrees, which I'm like, <laughs> this feels amazing. I'm going to go for a walk this morning. Right, right. And so nobody was around, which normally that Selena statue is like always crowded. Yeah. So, but yeah, it was, it was just cool growing up with radio stations and you like, it's a norm for me and my cousins. Yeah. But it's not the normal childhood no. at all. No. Where you're showing up at a radio station, you're on the radio. Next thing you know, your dad's got you filming or recording a commercial for some business. And you're the little kid like, hey, Santa, my dad wants a new refrigerator. You were being conditioned to be a marketer from the young age. You didn't even... <laughs> Had no idea. No. Yeah. No. And all these roads lead to retail automotive. There is more than enough space in this industry. <laughs> Yeah, we never know. So much room for growth. I'm so excited we got to hang out. Yeah, thank you for coming out and spending the day and just seeing what we have going on at Demontron. Yeah, it's awesome. And you're amazing. How can those listening get in touch with you and connect with you? I think the best is always go through LinkedIn. Ashley Cavazos, you'll find me on there pretty easily. And send me a message. Let me know you saw the podcast. We can tell Cirillo that, you know, got to follow the marketing attribution, right? So, hey... (laughs) But yeah, thanks for watching and definitely reach out if you want to talk more. Thanks for joining me on the Dealer Playbook. I'm Michael Cirillo, and you've been listening to the Dealer Playbook podcast. If you haven't yet, please click the subscribe button wherever you're listening right now. Leave a rating or review and share it with a colleague. Thanks for listening.